When is the last time you listened to a podcast about web development, web design, and small business and didn't fall asleep? Yes, we cover web development, web design, and small business, but like actual human beings with personalities. If you're a beginner, we're not going to talk over your head. It's more like asking your buddy for help. We have guests, we have fun, and let me tell you, these two can get off on a tangent. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to HTML All The Things Podcast. This is Matt Lawrence and Mike Curran. That's what everybody, we are back with an interview episode. We have not done an interview episode for quite a while, and we have an absolutely loaded interview episode for you today. We had a great interview with Scrimba's head of education and React wizard, Bob Zerol, discussing topics such as the recommended learning path to learning React for junior developers, how Scrimba's course platform helps developers learn, and a big one, at least a big one for me, escaping your comfort zone, something that junior developers definitely need to get sort of associated with, but also people who have been in the field for a very long time and maybe mastered React, and then as React or whatever it is you're working on slowly changes, you updating your knowledge may kind of pull you out of that comfort zone and it might be really hard to move on to a different version of a framework or something when you've got so much experience and so much mastery of what it is that you're doing. Before we cut to that interview like we normally would, though, I do want to mention something. So this is the first interview episode that we're doing in our new format. So normally our episodes do come out on Wednesdays, pretty well every single Wednesday. And we decided that we're going to take interview episodes, which would normally be on Wednesday if we had them in the list of episodes that we've recorded. We're going to take interview episodes moving forward, and we're going to be releasing them sort of like a bonus episode. So you have your normally scheduled program, which comes out on Wednesdays. And right now we're going to be releasing interview episodes on Thursday. This may change if we notice that people would prefer it on a different day or if we would prefer to release them on a different day. But for now, we're going to be releasing these bonus episodes, these interview episodes on the Thursday. And we hope that you enjoy that. Let's cut to that interview right now. All right, everybody, we have Bob on the line here. And before we jump into this loaded episode, Bob, how's it going? What's up? What you been up to? It's going great. Um, I've been recording a lot for Scrimba. I'm working full time for Scrimba as the head of education and mostly doing some teaching. Um, Just released a pretty extensive course on React Router 6. And yeah, that's that's mostly what I've been up to. I'm in the throes of re-recording my advanced React course for Scrimba as well. So yeah. Well, that's exciting considering React has changed a lot in the last few years and it keeps going in that direction. It seems it's kind of like now all, all of a sudden we hear about signals. So I don't know. It's, it's all over the place. So it makes sense that you have to go in there and re-record all the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I don't want to say it's woefully outdated, but it, it takes very little for anything to become outdated these days. So yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think it still it still uses um, hooks, right? Like it's it's not a class based; it's a hooks based course, or is it? The old advanced React course uh, starts out with classes, and so ah, I've put a couple band aids on it uh, to help people onboard onto classes, which I guess seems a little backwards, but that way people can still take the advanced, the old advanced course, um, and have it make sense. But yeah, the reason I'm re-recording it is to be hooks based, and I don't even know if I'll touch much on classes at all at that point i think uh, i don't want to sidetrack right off the get-go but like the classes versus hooks discussion with react is always really interesting to me because a lot of people don't mention it when they're doing their courses because they just assume that you know it's either class or hooks based and i feel like for junior developers for developers just starting out that's a huge barrier so it kind of it's kind of good to have at least an introduction to what hooks look like in my opinion where like if, if a junior goes in and looks at documentation, old documentation or an old uh, tutorial, they know that, hey, this is class-based. This is not something that's relevant to me. Or I can take these parts out and, you know, replace them with hooks and stuff like that. So it's an interesting – there's an interesting in-between there that needs to be taken care of. Yeah, it's funny that sometimes you have to teach the history uh, in order for, for you know, outdated code or – not outdated, but just legacy code and, like you said, tutorials or even documentation – to uh, to make sense, especially for beginners, yeah, yeah, exactly. But uh, let's talk again 
to the junior developers out there. We got you on. You've done a ton of teaching, both live and uh, asynchronous with video recordings and that. So I want to kind of get as much knowledge from you as we can for the audience. So right off the get-go, really valuable question here. What is your recommended path right now? Like if you're a junior developer today uh, to learn React. So you, I, I, I'll set the stage a little bit. So maybe they're, they just went through their regular HTML, CSS and JavaScript. So they have the basics down. Do they need to go into advanced JavaScript first or do they can, can they go to the React and learn advanced JavaScript together? What do you recommend? Yeah. I think the, the standard uh, path, you know, of learning HTML and CSS together and then jumping into JavaScript and adding some interactivity. Those are all, I think, a crucial foundation that are pretty tough to avoid. Um, so always start with HTML, CSS, JavaScript, and uh, and not just start with them, but actually become fairly proficient in them um, before you start into React. And then, then you can jump into React and actually have some context around the different approach or the different thinking style, the, the less imperative, more declarative um, you know, approach that you get from React um, and and see how that actually improves your life um, on top of just using vanilla JavaScript. So HTML and CSS, then JavaScript, then React. At that point, it kind of branches out. There's a lot of different approaches you could take. Uh, if you want to, uh, you know, if you want to stick on just front end, then start learning some cool libraries that React, you know, the, the ecosystem has. Um, or jump into a full stack framework like Next.js or Remix, um, start building REST APIs and go the Node Express route or Python Django or whatever you want. It, it branches out pretty significantly at that point. So do you actually think that you can, that, that you should learn, because I know you mentioned Python then, uh, you know, you learn your HTML, your CSS, your JS, you branch out, you go into React, you start learning some stuff in there. Do you think that that, the web dev scene is kind of a like a, a kind of a I don't know a stepping stone I guess you could say toward Python or do you think people could start with Python and go back like how what's the relationship there? Sure, my um, I guess my experience is mostly in teaching people front end web development. Uh, no, I shouldn't say front end teaching web development um, with a heavier focus on front end. When I started learning, I learned Python and JavaScript at the same time. And that was a little bit confusing for me as a beginner, just an extra you know, hurdle to jump, jumping back and forth between two different languages and understanding differences between the two. They're similar enough that it's not like going from C to JavaScript and trying to learn them both at the same time. But um, I think if these days I would recommend if you're doing web development, which I think is a great stepping stone into software engineering in general, um, then learning HTML, CSS, JavaScript, and then stick to the JavaScript world for a while. If you're interested in backend and you don't feel extremely proficient in software engineering at that point or confident, you're still trying to build your confidence, then use Node because it's the same language. It, you, you'll get to use JavaScript, but also build cool things. And you don't have to worry so much about the onset of imposter syndrome or some of the other things that can happen when you start feeling confused about learning a new language. I think uh, like lately that's been the approach that I've been recommending as well. I think if you, if you look back 10, 15 years ago, it was different because JavaScript wasn't as mature of a language to really start recommending it for safe backend creation. But with, you know, the invention of TypeScript and it being massively popular and Node.js becoming extremely stable and being used in tons and tons of production applications, there's just so much you can learn from that one language and then apply it to really any language after that that you need to do. The patterns that, you know, you learn in Node for routing, for authentication, for everything, those can be almost one-to-one -one applied in something like Python as well. Um, so it's an interesting, it, it's interesting how much JavaScript has really matured to become that one language to platform off of. Yeah, I think it's helped the, the learning environment quite a bit as well from just from a learning perspective. Yeah, totally. Because like now when you're learning, if you take like a full stack JavaScript course, start to finish, I feel like after that, you're almost ready to 
tackle larger projects, like any any project. You want to go Ruby on Rails, whatever, Python, like it's just you have so much fundamental knowledge in that sector. Yeah, it, I mean, the, the reason that I oftentimes recommend people start with web development is because with just HTML and CSS, it's so easy to learn comparatively in the world of software engineering. And the the dopamine hit that you get, you know, assuming you're interested in software development, the dopamine hit you get from seeing something show up on the page, which is, you know, a few lines of HTML and a few lines of CSS really builds confidence and propel, uh, propels people into, um, I guess, going deeper and deeper. And I would say it's the, the same thing with using Node.js. Once you've already had experience on the front end with JavaScript, you you get a dopamine hit of being like, that's awesome. I just connected this front end with a back end and that back end is talking to a database, especially if you're using like a NoSQL database, which is basically objects uh, and arrays then you yeah you get this like huge boost of confidence that then helps you uh i guess propel your career into wherever it is you ultimately want to end up would you say that web development is largely then i don't know if this is going to date me but uh i think mike also learned on this too we learned uh, basic uh, literally like the acronym basic uh q basic yeah. i think is what we use quick basic <laughs> do you think yeah. that like web development sort of the new the new basic, the new Q basic. Uh, I I guess so. I, I guess that's a fair comparison. Yeah, it's it's something that can be a good stepping stone for people, and it could also be a full career for people. I mean, people write email templates as a career and and do well in it. Um, but yeah, I think it's a great. I think it's a great entry point. Yeah, hopefully like actual traditional schools catch up to that because I know I, I talked to re- recently to some high school students and some university students that are still starting with QBasic and or C sharp and stuff like that. Although again, there are arguments to be made for any language at this point because every, every language has matured. Um, <laughs> even, even though it's an old language, I've heard people using COBOL all the time still. <laughs> and I mean, that language Cobol, is ancient. COBOL developers make a lot of money <laughs> because nobody does it. <laughs> Exactly. And like old banking and government systems still need it. Yep, yep. If you want to get that, uh, you know, five, six-figure salary or seven-figure salary, I should say, COBOL is <laughs> the way to go. <laughs> but uh, to bring it back a little bit, uh, I just want to talk a little bit about Scrimba. So you mentioned you were, you're the head of education on, at Scrimba, and I've used the platform myself. I've recommended it a ton at this point for learning different frameworks, different concepts in programming in general. Um I just want to hear from your side of things. Like, what do you think differentiates it? What's the, what, how does it help developers learn? Yeah, the main feature of Scrimba is its interactivity. So there's way more content out there on YouTube and Udemy, Coursera, whatnot, um, but none of them are as interactive, or I should say as easily interactive as, as Scrimba. I'm sure everybody's seen a YouTube video that says, here's my GitHub repository and here's the final code and you can do a branch on every chapter of this series and they do everything they can to get people involved in the code. Um, But the truth is you still have to go, you know, you have to clone the repository and you have to know how to use Git um, or you have to know what GitHub is. You have to know how to set up your editor locally. You have to know what an editor is. You maybe have to have the right extensions and and know what a, you know what live server is and 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 everything. There's there's a lot of hurdles that, uh, in order to get started, especially for a beginner, um, but not even for a beginner. Like I I might be looking at a YouTube video and be like, I'm just gonna watch. Like I I understand what they're trying to get across. Um, but as a beginner, the most important thing you can do is get your hands on the keyboard. That's kind of the phrase that we use at Scrimba quite a bit is get your hands on the keyboard and actually practice things. And so that's what sets Scrimba apart. You're watching the scrim, the video, and you literally type into the same editor that we used when we recorded the course and you start typing and it just automatically pauses the video and it you mess with the code that we wrote. And so we can say, pause and do this challenge and that's literally all you have to do is just, you don't even have to pause. I mean, you just start typing and and it pauses for you and you do the challenge. You see the result in the mini browser or the, the little console that's there. And so, 
you know, Scrimba is not a production environment. We don't expect people are going to suddenly start using the Scrimba environment to write their production code um, because that's that's not its point. So that's that's Scrimba's, I guess, strongest feature that I would say is is its interactivity. And then we we like to think that uh, our pedagogy and instruction style um, adds to that. I definitely have used Scrimba uh, to catch up on like a concept or two that I've missed in CSS. And one of one of my bad habits when learning is I take things way too literally and I'll be like, hey, that guy, like this person said something and like I don't really understand what what he said. And that's the the power of Scrimba where I can stop and be like, hang on, it's not doing what he said. And then I go in, mess around with it, try to break it and be like, oh, it is doing what he said. You know, then now that's cleared up in my head. I'm not like you said, jumping to someone's GitHub repo, trying to read up on it. And I'm new, so I don't really know what I'm reading. And it's like a whole mess that way. Yeah. You know, um, a thought that I've been thinking recently is a lot about traditional education and the approach that it has taught this whole a whole generation of students is that uh, your education is tied to a grade. And if you screw something up, it's really hard to to get back from that. Like if you get a terrible grade on a test, it's hard to come back from that sometimes. Um, but what that trains people to do is to think that if they mess something up, then they're doing it wrong. Like that's not a correct way to learn something. And exactly like what you said is what triggered this kind of tangent uh, right now is that you can just go in and mess with it and it doesn't matter <laughs> if you break it that's probably better like you you learn more from breaking the code and then fixing it than you do from being concerned about getting something wrong code in general it's not just the scrimba platform if you know how to use git or command z you can break something and undo it pretty easily but um but that's one thing that I think having such an easily revertible, I guess you could say, environment is you you hopefully untrain yourself to think that messing something up is is bad for your learning because it's the exact opposite. I think that's it, it's a tough thing to get across, and I, I think Matt, you 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 have attested to this many times where the how traditional school has trained us is to not fail, right? Like if you fail, bad. And getting that messaging across to new students in any platform or any any type of schooling is difficult because of how they were raised essentially throughout their entire career. Um, I guess like as an instructor, like you've probably had a lot of students come through at this point. There's a lot of discussions in the Scrimba Discord and Scrimba forums and stuff like that. Um, What's a typical like? What's a really common like issue that that people have that they just can't get across? Like, what's something that you've seen many many times mentioned by the students? This is an off the cuff question, so I know you didn't have time to prepare for this. <laughs> no, I um, the first thing that comes to mind is when people are very clearly stuck in tutorial hell, and they are watching, watching, watching courses, and they think it makes sense. Um, maybe they're taking notes, you know, in their favorite note taker, maybe it's notion and, you know, they get to the end and they're like, sweet, I have this awesome idea. They open an editor, they're staring at a blank screen and just everything flies out of their head. <laughs> it's because they watched a seven hour course or whatnot and didn't write any code. Um, and so that's, I think one of the biggest hurdles that, brand new students to Scrimba tend to face is saying like, Hey, can somebody just send me the code for, for this solution for this, this thing. And the Scrimba discord is pretty incredible. Um, the community, I should say is pretty incredible because people will be like, no, <laughs> I'm not going <laughs> to do that. Um, I shouldn't, that makes it sound like they don't help each other. Um, they're super helpful, but they will almost, uh, it, it's it's amazing how often they will be helping each other um, saying like, okay, well, why do you think that's not working? Or what do you notice about this variable name that maybe is not correct? Um, and so the avoidance of tutorial hell, I think is one of the primary things that people come into Scrimba for and tend to find at Scrimba is the ability to just avoid and, and finally escape uh, tutorial hell. 
I think that community aspect as well in Scrimba, like I know you mentioned the course platform, and I agree that's definitely the biggest differentiator for Scrimba, but the community side, like the Discord server itself is a huge add, a huge value add. And I highly kind of, if you're going through the course platform, make sure that you're part of that community and not just not just asking questions, answering questions and all that, just collaborating because that's what's missing a lot of times for self-taught developers is that like sharing of knowledge. And as I've learned by mistake, like I've, I've kind of siloed myself many, many times in my self-taught path. Uh, when, whenever I collaborate, I learn 10 times faster. It's just, that's just the, the reality of it because most of the people have done the same mistakes that I've done 10 times and they're able to point me quickly into the direction that I need to be going. And again, like you mentioned, Bob, with the, they're not going to give you the answer. I love that because that's such a useless thing to do. Like I remember in university, I had, I, I like essentially half the class could not code and half the class could code. And it always was like, Hey, partner up. And every partner that couldn't code would partner with someone that could code and they never learned. Right. So yeah, they could copy paste code into their editor and click run, but they never took that step. And someone telling them, Hey, no, I'm not going to just give it to you, but here's like the method that you can get to that answer is so much more valuable. And again, it's, it's good that the discord understands that because it's, it is a concept that you have to understand. It's not regular schooling where you just sit there and take notes and then write a test. This is something like a practical skill similar maybe even to a trade that you have to just sit down and do. Yeah, absolutely. We we have a concept in Scrimba called solo projects. And the idea is um, that we don't just give you the solution. Actually, we don't give you any solution. We say, here's the problem. Here's the scope of a project that you should be able to build at this point. Now that we've just finished teaching you a, a course or a, a module in the career path. And we give them a Figma design and say, here's the requirements. Um, here's some resources that might help you. Here's some extra credit. If you want to go the extra mile, uh, good luck. And we don't then say, okay, now go to the next lesson. We'll show you how to do it. Um, and the reason I was thinking about that is the other day, somebody, I get emails when people post comments in our Figma designs and someone said, Hey, can someone send me the code for like the final thing on this? And immediately someone responded and they were like, I'm not going to do that. Like that would defeat the purpose of the solo project. And I wanted to just like high five that rando that I had no idea where they came from, but it was, it was super cool. But yeah, we, we like to say you, nobody has learned to play the piano by watching people play the piano. You know, you can't watch a million hours of somebody of piano performances and and then suddenly become a, a concert pianist. It's just not how it works. It's probably stemmed from the, the the fear of failure, like we already mentioned, where, you know, if you, you, you're doing your solo project and you want to do that, like solo, but then you're like, hey, I'm, you know, I'm starting to type. I don't really know what I'm doing. I'm starting to mess up. Somebody help me. You know, I don't want to get one out of 10 on this, whereas no one's really grading it necessarily. Uh, it's not like the traditional school system in that way. And so you're not terrified like mike and i uh we've mentioned this on the podcast several times we used to do uh, lecture and lab and i've mentioned so many times that the lab component was the hands-on component either whether it was programming or whether it was uh, electronics as well and so many times it's like this is the first time you've ever done this but we are going to grade you on this it's like well hang mm -hmm. on like i'm going to mess this up it's like well yeah <laughs> so then you'll get a 60 it's like well hang on <laughs> so now i'm just going to try to go to the strongest solder or whatever in the class Try to get them to help me, and then I'll have a nice solder joint, and then I'll just get my 10. Like, why wouldn't I do that? Yeah. Well, and the anxiety-inducing part of that is that it's all time-bound. Like, you you only have so many weeks to take a class. Um, and so time is of the essence. And then, of course, if you're in school, you have a bunch of other classes you have to worry about. But when you're on a self-taught path, uh, unless you're like absolutely desperate to get a job, which is probably not the greatest um, mindset and stress levels to be managing while you're trying to learn something new, but you are not being timed. Not only are you not being graded, but you're not being timed. And so if you open up your editor to complete a solo project or a project of your own, whatever it might be, and you just completely botch it, you take the 
all the wrong approaches. You, you know, waste weeks just going down a rabbit hole that ends up not being helpful. It doesn't matter. Like that was a great learning experience. And then you go back and now you have, you know, tools in your tool belt or arrows in your quiver, and you are going to be able to approach that problem in a better way going forward. That's how you get strong is by, is by screwing it up and learning from your mistakes. People say that all the time, but uh, I think it's only when you're in that experience and finally realize like, Hey, I just, I just uh, went down this wrong path for two weeks and then I'm just going to erase everything and start over. And it's fine. Like nobody's suddenly like, Oh, sorry, your, your time is up. Um, That's, that's a good experience. Yeah, that's, that's a really good point. Exactly. Like it's just the time constraints can weigh you down a ton. Um, One thing I do want to kind of shift into a little bit right now, we've talked about like this community aspect. We've gone to like the discord side of things, you know, making sure that you're part of the discussion. I want to talk about Let's say you're you're learning, you're on your path, you're learning, you have a good grasp of CS, HTML, CSS, JavaScript, you're getting your grasp of React. I, I've recommended a few times to people to, hey, now that you have a, at least somewhat of a grasp, maybe go and try to help others kind of build up their knowledge base, write a tutorial, like, you know, to teach them something, like answer questions in a Discord server. Do you have like a where to begin for that? Like, how would you, how would you approach that kind of problem or that kind of student where they now want to take the next step? Yeah. The, the way that I started. Um, so I, I guess maybe a quick history for me, I took a boot camp in 2014, um, kind of when boot camps were just starting to become a thing a, a little after that, I guess. And it was, um, it was a bit of a mess. Like they were brand new. They were figuring things out. They had very little documentation and the documentation they had was written by an ultra senior developer who just had a hard time kind of speaking down or dumbing it down to us. And so I started going through and just writing Google docs with screenshots of like how to follow these processes. Um, it's a, a super low stakes way to um, process things in your own mind and also help other people. So uh, there's a bunch of blogging platforms that you anybody can join. I think anybody can log on to dev.2 and create their own account and just start posting blogs. Even if zero people see it, um, that's, that's a really good way to solidify things in your own mind. The Feynman technique, you know, is that you, you uh, teach something in order to learn it. Um, Kent, Kent C. Dodds, um, super popular in the JavaScript world. He's local to me here in Utah. Um, and he always talks about how he, go, the reason he is such a prolific speaker is because he's solidifying these, these concepts. Like when he wants to learn something new, he signs up to speak on it. And that's, you know, that's how he forces himself to, to go down that path. Um, that's that's high stakes. <laughs> that's much higher stakes than writing a blog. But uh, I would say start with a, a blog like on dev.2 or Medium or whatever, uh, or, or build your own blog and start posting there. Um, and then then you could start YouTube if you if you want to and you're not too camera shy, um, just start a YouTube channel and start explaining things there. Again, you might have zero people watching it, but um, but it's helpful to yourself uh, at the very least. And then if you really want high stakes, go, go start signing up at conferences. <laughs> I think like it's, it's, I don't want to understate how important it is to kind of put yourself out there a little bit like this, especially on your, at the start of your journey. And a lot of developers will think that, Hey, I don't have anything to add to this conversation because how to center a div has been said, you know, has been tutorialed and blogged a million times. But the reality is, is that there's someone starting right beneath you right now in their journey and their level of understanding is very similar to yours. And like you mentioned with the kind of the senior developer explaining to junior developers, there is that big gap. And it's because of the knowledge gap. The, the knowledge gap is like, I the senior developer doesn't know how to speak to the junior developer, but a junior developer has the chance to teach a, another junior under them something in the same kind of language or even in just different words that they might understand that some others don't. So that's, I, I like that approach. Like what, what you, what you mentioned exactly, like just, Hey, 
Blogs are free, extremely low stakes. Can't see Dobbs. That's that's a higher stakes thing. But if you're really good at teaching and you want to throw yourself out there, that I mean, hats off to you. That's a great way to learn. That's awesome. Yeah, what what you're describing is called the the curse of knowledge, and it's where it becomes difficult uh, to remember what it was like to not know the thing that you now know. Um, oh, one thing that I, I forgot to mention is on Scrimba, um, there's this aspect of giving code reviews to people. Anybody can actually go on to Scrimba and record something. Um, you open any Scrim, there's a, you know, you can make a note or just start typing in it and there's a little record button on there. So you could record little notes for yourself or if students are submitting their code, like on the Scrimba discord, um, we try to highlight people who have given code reviews um, to to other students, and I think in the upcoming version or the we're we're releasing kind of an, a big update to Scrimba. There's going to be a pretty heavy emphasis, or at least an easier ability, to just give code reviews and get code reviews from people. Um, so that's that's another really relatively low stakes. It seems a little higher because you have to record your voice, and that can seem scary <laughs> at first, but you can open somebody's code. And exactly like you said, you'll realize that, oh, this person doesn't know this thing that I just learned. And so I can say, hey, you could structure this this way, or like you're not supposed to nest that element inside of that other element or whatever it might be. And they're going to be super grateful for that because you're not going to naturally, you're not going to be condescending because you just learned that. And, um, and you aren't, yeah, it, it's just, it's a good experience. That's another great way to, to do something like that. The way I see it, too, is there's a there's almost like, like, I don't know, like a brain speak or something where let's say you're talking about two divs and you're nesting stuff, but they don't know what they're, they're brand new and you're brand new. You don't know what the term is. You don't know nesting. You didn't know. All you know is that it's a div. And so you could just say to them, put that thing inside of there. And now they're together in a group. And so that's kind of like, you know, just dumping your brain like what you learn. And that's how you understand it now. And that might just make perfect sense to some people. And that might be the thing that just breaks through where it's like, oh, putting it together in a group is nesting. Got it. And then it's just it won't work for everybody, of course. That's why we all jump from YouTube creator to YouTube creator or, or you know, creator to creator to figure out who, who works for us. But if you're to me anyway, that so many times I've been stuck on something, someone figures it out and then they just sort of like brain soup it with those words. And it's just sort of like, I got it. You're right. That, that's how I would think of it, too. And then you can move on. You mentioned code reviews, Bob, and I kind of want to circle around that because I know code reviews can be pretty scary for people, uh, both on the giving and receiving end. So I, I kind of want to hear your thoughts. Like, what, what's the benefits for developers out there of both sides? So giving code reviews and then receiving them. Yeah. So receiving code reviews um, might be more obvious at, on its face. Just you're receiving feedback on your code and and. Therefore, you learn new things and you can apply those things in similar problems in the future. Um, hopefully, the person giving you a code review isn't being a jerk about it. I don't think that's maybe as common as we imagine when we're receiving a code review. Um, <clears throat> as far as giving a code review, it's it's again, it's the Feynman technique. You see the way that someone else has approached code I wouldn't be surprised if the person giving code review oftentimes learns something as well from the code. Just seeing being exposed to other people's code in general is just a good idea. Um, it, for example, code challenge websites, when you complete a code challenge and then you're able to see everyone else's approach to how they solved that, that code challenge, um, that's the most important part of doing those code challenges is that's where you, that's, I would say that's where the real learning happens. So, when you're giving a code review, it's something kind of similar to that. You get to see how they did it, um, but also just the fact of teaching to somebody else uh, really solidifies things in your head. So I keep saying the Feynman technique. It's from, um, I, I forget what his line of work was. I don't know if he's a psychologist or something, but he is, um, I think he's a physician or a, a physicist, a physicist or something like that. Um, <clears throat> and he... But he's also a teacher, world-renowned teacher. Um, so the Feynman technique, he says, you need to be able to teach something to, I forget what age, like a 10-year-old or something. If you can't teach it to a 10-year-old, then you don't understand it well enough yourself. And that's not to call junior devs 10-year-olds, but if, you're, if you can't teach something down, 
to somebody, then you might not understand it well enough yourself. So giving a code review forces you to process it well enough in your head to then be able to give that kind of feedback. Yeah, for sure. Honestly, like it was a big challenge for me to on both sides, um, because I think in my in my brain with code reviews or even just like you mentioned, the you know, code challenge websites, I would do a code challenge and then I would see how everyone else did it. And I would always be like, wow, they did it so much more elegantly than me. And that always kind of scared me from doing more. But as I did more and more, I realized, hey, I'm now I'm utilizing the skills that they've shown me in my own. And now I'm getting a little bit better and better. It's the only way to get better is to receive that criticism and be okay with it. I think that's the key, key factor of this. It's okay to be uncomfortable. It's important to be uncomfortable. It's, it's crucial to be uncomfortable. It's not going to work if you're not uncomfortable that uh, our students, um, the, the bootcamp that I worked for uh, was called V school is called V school. Um, and that was something that we saw pretty often when people started being uncomfortable with what they were learning, they would revert back to just naturally revert back to their comfort zones, maybe doing, you know, CSS. Maybe that was what they felt comfortable doing instead of tackling the the difficult logic, you know, uh, problems that they had to do with JavaScript, for example. And so, yeah, it's, it's, and their progress was halted when they did that, by the way. Like they might get uh, incrementally better at CSS by practicing it more because you always get better when you practice things, but you don't get better at things if you don't practice them. And so, yeah, it's it's crucial to be uncomfortable while you're progressing. It's like working out at the gym. Like you can't just lift a one pound weight, uh, you know, and and be making progress. You have to do it. You have to push yourself and go more and more and more. Are you telling me I have to lift two pound weights? Two pound weights. I've is been the doing next, it wrong this entire time. That's the next. Uh, that's the next goal, right? <laughs> yeah. No, one hundred percent. And I guess another question here on the course creation: Has course creation, like you've created many courses, you've taught many courses, changed the way you approach development? Like, if you were given a development, like a development task right now, if you were, if you had a contract, would you approach it differently? I mean, I think in general, um, kind of like we were talking about with with the benefits of teaching something, it helps you break down the problem into its small parts and then teach, in this case, teach each of those parts in order to build back up to a whole. So when I'm creating curriculum, I have to take the, what I like to do is take the end project that I'm hoping to get to and then start picking it apart and seeing like, okay, this is something that they haven't learned yet. So I need to teach that. This is another thing that they haven't learned yet. Um, so I need to teach that in order to teach that I have to teach this precursor to that. And so you start really breaking it down into like the, the leaves of a tree. And then the, all of a sudden by building all of those things together, they come up to the the final project. And that's exactly what you do in software development. Um, you, you know, it's, it can be overwhelming to be given, like, here's the Figma design for the final project we want and having to decide, well, how am I going to, how am I going to break this down into the small pieces and then create each of those pieces so that they work well together for the final solution. Um, and so, yeah, whether it's curriculum building or software engineering, um, I think it's similar. Another thing that it forces me to do is to not be too clever in the code that I write. So I, I don't know if you've ever seen those memes that they kind of show a bell curve and then it'll show the beginning is like the noob developer. The middle is at the top of the bell curve is like the mid-level developer who's doing some crazy complex thing. And then at the other end is like the super senior developer who's just doing the same thing that the noob was doing. Um, it forces me to to not be too clever because I'm not going to be able to teach the clever solution. It's going to be too, uh, I'm going to have to circumvent the actual principle that I'm trying to get to through this cleverness. I don't, I don't know if that makes any sense. No, I think but, that makes perfect sense. But yeah. So, so that's another thing. Like I might come up with a solution and then realize I'm not going to be able to teach that. I need to find a more basic way to solve this problem. And that, I think ends up being better for me and for the students that are learning it. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's kind of like the 
the double pronged approach where now you're you're able to break down tasks better, just like you mentioned, and also you have the ability to write cleaner code that's better, ma- easily maintainable because it's simpler. So two really, really big benefits, I would say for sure. Before we wrap up, though, I do want to talk about the new course that you just created. It's on React Router and just in general, want to talk about React with you because you've been teaching that for a few years now. Um, React has many different kind of frameworks built on top of it now. It's been evolving. Like we mentioned, you have to continually update your courses with something like Next.js coming up or not coming up, sorry, with something like Next.js maturing and maturing into the point where a lot of people are starting to recommend it as like a learning platform for React even. Do you do you see the benefit of just learning the basics of React before jumping into something like Next.js at this point? You know, I kind of waffle back and forth on this because everything is just an abstraction from the thing before it. So, you know, I, I mentioned that people should start with HTML, CSS, JavaScript, React, and then go into frameworks. A short answer, I think that's currently still my recommendation. Um, but at what point do you draw that line in the sand? Do you say, well, I could just start with Next.js and that's going to force me to learn HTML and CSS and and some JavaScript and, and React. I have found personally that as a beginner, it's very easy to conflate those different technologies and to not understand what is coming from where. Um, that It reminds me of a story when we were talking about our curriculum at the bootcamp that I worked at in the very early days when we were still teaching Python and Django in addition to, it was AngularJS um, for the front end. Um, we had a, a pretty senior developer come in to be an instructor and I was just like a TA at the time, but he wanted to just start teaching Django from day one. And I was like, I don't like, sorry to maybe speak above myself, but this, I don't think that's a good idea because Myself personally, I would get very confused about what is Django and what is Python um, and how they work together. And so, um, so yeah, I, I still think it's important to spend a fair amount of time building React applications from scratch, knowing that if you want to deploy something to production more than just what you're sharing with your friends and family in your bootcamp or wh- whoever it is that is just your small group of friends, um, then, then you start reaching for a framework. Go to React. Sorry, go to Next. Go to Remix. Um, you know, one of those tried and true platforms that's supported by a great company. Um, yeah. So, because otherwise, how far back do we go? Do we say, well, don't start with HTML and CSS. Like, start with ones and zeros. You know, that's that's not practical. Get so the microcontrollers point, out. <laughs> right. <laughs> So at some point, there's benefits to doing that for sure, um, but it might not benefit your career as much, your applicable career as much as the time that you spend and money you spend learning those things. Um, and so I think I, I think right now my line in the sand is, like I said, start with HTML, CSS, JavaScript. That should always be your foundation. Um, and then I would recommend going to React and then going to uh, a framework Um Understanding that I'm not recommending anybody create for their new startup a, a React app with Create React app or even with Vite. Like use just use Next.js, use Remix. Um, those are great starting point, and there's others as well. Having a a, a specific path or a, a good path like that, especially a relevant path for career, makes a lot of sense, and it even applies. Like Mike and I, obviously, are basically our family's IT guys, and uh, of course. And one of the big mistakes in, in teaching somebody even just something as basic as a, a, a computer program installed on Windows is if they're, if it's already installed and it's already there, they think that's Windows. They have no idea that that's Zoom, that that's Skype, that that's whatever. And so they'll, they'll, they'll ask me, how do I get the video calling thing working? Like, what do I do? And I'm like, well, which one? And to them, it's like, well, I don't know. I just press the blue button. It's like, well, what blue button? You know, and so there's no distinct, there's no distinguishing. And, and I even experienced it as well in uh computer uh, when I used to do server administration, where 
I didn't know where Linux ended and where my where our program began. So get, starting fresh and then doing, you know, apt get. OK, I got this program. Now I can do this with the NIC. OK, that's separate from what Linux can do. I got to make these two click together. It's so crucial in almost everything we do, even in the simple things. So it, it makes sense to apply it to something more advanced like web development. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. I That's the curse of knowledge because I hadn't even considered um, considered that. I'm sure that I've run into that problem where, you know, my family is like, yeah, this, this windows isn't working. It's like, well, it's not windows. That's not working. <laughs> it's this program <laughs> yeah. that you downloaded from some strange website. That's not working. A hundred percent. I'm sure Mike has experienced that a hundred times. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's why we always recommend the foundational pillars. And that's why we always <clears throat> recommend learning like JavaScript before you learn react, learn react before you learn next. I just like again, it solidifies that recommendation because how do you know what what's what? Is Next.js, yeah, it has its own documentation, but all of a sudden you're writing hooks. That's not next. Or some of them are. Some of them are. <laughs> it's yeah. all it's all over the place. You need to know where one begins and one ends. And you're not gonna be perfect in that, but as a process, as you're learning it, you'll be able to differentiate a little bit better as you go, I think for sure. Um before we wrap up, though, uh, I do want to talk a little bit about specifically React Routing or React Router, uh, the course that you have just created. I kind of want to get your take on um, where it fits. So like like we said, learn JavaScript, learn React, then go to Next. At what point before that, I guess, would you say, hey, take the React Router course to learn that? Yeah, so at, at Scrimba, I have my initial... Um, introduction to React course that students in the career path take, and um, and then they go on to the advanced React course, which includes a section on React Router. Um, as as we were kind of talking before, um, the advanced React course is needing to be remade, which is why I currently am remaking it and why I just re-recorded uh, re a new course on React Router. The truth is React Router is not an advanced topic and it's also not React. It's a third party library that is just happens to be the most popular routing library for React. Um, if you take my intro to React course, you'll notice that everything we build is just, it just lives there in one view. There's no routing between the homepage, the about page, the products page or anything because we don't know how to do that yet at that point in the course. So that's what React Router is really important for. And I think what I might end up doing is, um, well, I don't know. I'm not going to make any curriculum decisions <laughs> here on the podcast. But, <laughs> Live on the podcast. Um, hot yeah. take, hot take here. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, React Router, I, I would say that React Router is a great next step after, take, after learning the introductions to React, whether it's through my course or YouTube or, or the documentation. Um, because then you can start building pages that you're actually excited to show people. It's not just... You know, I build, we build in my course, a little game, like a dice game, um, and we build a quiz app, but those all happen in one view. Um, but in this React Router course, we build um, an app that we call Van Life. It's, it's kind of like Airbnb, but for renting out your travel vans, you know, um, it's like Turo for, I, I don't know how international Turo is, but so yeah, it's, it's basically Turo, but dedicated for camper vans, travel vans. Um, it's not real, by the way. No one go try and rent any vans from us. It's not going to work. Um, but that has tons of routes and tons of nested routes. And you go to, you know, it's like slash vans, slash vans, slash the ID of the van, slash host, slash van, slash ID, slash pricing. And you you learn how to build an app that's much more realistic through this React Router course. Um, and so that's, I would... I would almost prefer that people take the introductions to React and then do React Router um, before then choosing whether to um, go on to learn more advanced React or maybe at that point they just want to jump into a framework. Um, but yeah, that's kind of where it lays in my recommendations. Perfect. Honestly, I think that kind of perfectly wraps up this entire discussion start to end. Uh, Anything else, Matt, that you want to add to that? Or Bob, do you want to, any, anything else you want to plug? Shameless self-plug times. So. <laughs> I, I mean, I wish that I had my YouTube channel started. I'm, I have serious plans to start my YouTube channel. I, I know a lot of people on Twitter, at least, have been saying, you got to do this. And I just, 
I've got three kids. It's, it's hard, three young kids. It's hard to find time to make that work, but I really want to do that. So you could go subscribe to me, even though I have no coding content on my YouTube channel, uh, just in the hopes that, uh, that that'll end up somewhere. But otherwise, I just want to tell people, um, keep practicing, keep, keep your hands on the keyboard. Like I said, mess up and fix it and don't, and move on. Just keep learning by doing, um, you know, do, I, I like to say the easiest way to learn software engineering web development is by doing it the hard way, which means that you're actually doing it. You're not just watching other people do it. So that's my plug. Awesome. Thanks, Bob. Really appreciate you coming on. Uh, good luck in the new, you know, React Advanced React course. I'm excited to kind of take a look at that as well. Uh, potentially recommend that as well because I've recommended the Advanced React course from Scrimba a bunch of times. And uh, yeah, hopefully we'll have you on the podcast again. Yeah, I'd love to. Thanks so much. Thank you. We hope that you enjoyed that interview as much as we did, but it is time to end. But before we do that, I do want to ask for your feedback on these bonus interview episodes. Do you like them coming out on the Thursday? Would you prefer them on a different day? Do you want them to be back in the regular rotation on the Wednesday? Please let us know. Any feedback would be really great because we're just brand new at trying out this new format, this new release schedule. But before we end, as always, Many thanks to our $3 tier patrons, Ryan Gatchel from Blue Black Digital on blueblackdigital.com, Tim from The Web Hacker on thewebhacker.com, Bib Hashdash from 9Block Media on 9BlockMedia.com, Jason from Geek Life Radio via geekliferadio.com, Michael Curie from MC Web Studio via mcwebstudio.ca, Magnus from YesWeb via yesweb.se, Jeff from Twitter via at the Jeff McHale, and Fire Ant Season via fireantseason.com. <laughs> Excuse me. Feel free to leave a... I'm now I'm all frazzled. Feel free to leave a comment or review on the platform. Hopefully I'm saying this right. You're listening to this on and this outro will sign us off. You've been listening to HTML, all the things podcast, web development, web design, and small business. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. And we hope you appreciate that we talk to you like human beings. And we hope you had some fun. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit us up on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon at HTML All The Things. And on Twitter at HTML Everything. Until next time, this is HTML All The Things, signing off. Thank <laughs> you.